Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence show. Once again, I am Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. And with us in the studio today is Mickey Kendall, uh, a friend from Chicago and also the internet. Uh, she is also known as Carnithia online. She does a great many things, mostly write and talk about uh, what everything, really, cooking, literature, family, race, gender, comic books, uh, whatever whatever comes to mind. And I have a feeling we're going to have some spectacular agreements and disagreements today. Mickey, welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, and before we get started, uh, I want to address two things that have come up in the mailbag this week, one of which I, I've realized I feel very strongly about, which is the snooze button. Uh, I feel like at this point in history, you've been online, you've seen the headline that says why clicking the snooze button, it doesn't actually get you more sleep. And everyone knows that it doesn't actually help you sleep more. It just delays the feeling of I have to get out of bed. Uh, and it's fine if you want to snooze in your own life. If you have a snooze button and you're not hurting anyone but yourself, like, go for it. You're not actually getting more sleep. It's not actually helping you in any way. It's just prolonging the pain of having to wake up. But fine. Suffer in silence on your own. I don't mind. But if you sleep with someone on a regular basis and you use your damn snooze button, you are hurting them. You are hurting them, and by extension, you are hurting me. Uh, easily the most surprisingly upsetting fights I have ever had have been with partners who uh, use a snooze button. And uh, I, have, I have had to say, please, please, I would rather, I would rather almost anything happen to me than think that for the every morning of our relationship, I'm going to have to listen to your alarm go off five times. Um, please don't do it. It's not helpful to you, and it harms me. Every time you snooze your button, you're hurting me somewhere. So stop. So Mickey, I, I don't know if you have any experience with snooze buttons. I will say that I broke up with someone who was a, a, a three-time snooze button person. I have three no idea times? what a five-time snooze button person is because I almost killed the three-time snooze button person. I'm a very light sleeper. I wake up the first time. I wake up the, at the sound of your alarm. I wake up the sound yeah, of you thinking about your alarm. Because alarms are designed to wake people up. Exactly. So set the alarm for the time you want to be up or train yourself to wake up 10 minutes before your alarm so you can lay there and stare at the ceiling for 10 minutes and then get up. Something. Yeah. But if you wake yeah, me up I three mean, times, I'm going to kill you. Because that, that, that's the thing, right? It's awful to listen to an alarm and it's awful to hear an alarm and know I'm not the one who can turn it off because it's on the other side of the bed. It's not my phone. Maybe they haven't woken up yet. Like you can't do anything about it. So it's this horrible combination of this is not relevant to me. I don't have to get up and I can't turn it off. I mean, you can kick them till they get up and turn it off. It's the worst thing you can do to another person. I've decided. I'll accept that. Yeah, good. Okay. I'm glad that we have made that uh, call. If you ever write to me asking uh, about a fight you and your partner are having about a snooze button, I want you to know I'm going to side with whoever doesn't use one. Uh, so just save yourself the ink, I guess. Um yeah. So as I said earlier, our guest is Mickey Kendall, and she is here to talk with us today about every little thing that we're all doing wrong and could be doing better. Um, Mickey, I feel like you have been already an honorary guest on the show based on some of the conversations we've gotten to have on Twitter. I, I sometimes have strong opinions, and I know that the reason I'm not a professional advice columnist is because I would actually send a response of run, lead now. 
get a new I'm, one. I'm trying to think of what was the last one where you where you were just like, I, I have one word answer to this person. It is go. Oh, it was the woman where he turned the fence back on while she was fixing <gasps> it. Oh, if you tried yeah. to attempt and murder me, even by accident, we no longer go together. And you're lucky if you make it home and not to the pigs. I'm from yeah, the Midwest. That was, Don't judge me. I think the most upsetting part of that letter was when she said, some of my friends think I should give him another chance. They're not her friends. Yeah, I think as sad as it is to lose both a relationship and friends at the same time, I think you're a good litmus test for does this person have my best interest at heart is do they think it is okay for someone to turn on an electric fence while I'm touching it? Um, and if the answer is yes, then then you should really draw the line firmly. All right. So don't electrocute anybody and use an alarm once at most. I, I think we're ready to start answering questions, don't you? I do. I'm very excited. Wonderful. Do you want to read the first letter? <sighs> okay. I have many judgments. I, I hope they come through in your reading. I am in my 50s. I was adopted by my parents as a baby. After the adoption, they had three other children, two boys and another girl. I have never felt as if I wasn't their child. I never felt as if I was treated differently or if they valued the others more than me. I had all the same opportunities as the younger ones. That is why it is such a shock when I found my parents' will. They were leaving their entire estate, which is not much, to their three children by birth. I get nothing, not even a family heirloom like a dish or a piece of jewelry. To say I, am ups I was upset would be a distinct understatement. It has been over a month. I'm still crying all the time over what I see as a betrayal. I discuss this with my parents and they see no reason to change their will. I am the adopted daughter, not the real one. Not the real one, she says. Okay. I had thought my siblings would side with me or at least sympathize, but they do not. I have always felt incredibly close to my sister. There is a 10-year age gap between us, but we've done so many things together. We were each other's maid, matron of honor. We take vacations together. But she feels, as my parents do, that I am adopted, not the same as the other three. Huh. The brother closest in age to me is somewhat supportive and says I have a right to be angry. But this is his parents' decision and he needs to support them. After talking this over with my husband, I have gone to counseling and is helping somewhat. The counselor suggested I write a letter to all the family members explaining how I felt and see what happened. Nothing did. I got no responses whatsoever. I have not contacted them since and have been considering cutting them out of my life altogether. My counselor and I are working on these steps. So I was shocked when my first contact with any family member was a breezy email from my sister asking me if I'd start started plans for hosting Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how to proceed from here. My husband thinks I should email back and say that if I am not family enough to inherit anything, I am not family enough to cook for 50 people. My counselor thinks I should call a family meeting and discuss this with all of them. I am not strong enough to do either. I want the situation to just go away. I want my family back, but I want the family I thought I had, not these cruel people. Can you see any way to put things back to the way they were? Who's first, Mallory? Because I, I, have, I, have, I have a response. Yeah, hit hit us with it, please, by all means. Girl, listen. A, you can't fix this. There's something wrong with them, all of them, collectively. It's like finding out you woke up one day as a wolf in a pack of hyenas. Leave. There's no pack mentality to be preserved here because they're not going to take care of you. They're going to take care of each other. The fact that you didn't call your sister up and curse her smooth out is a miracle of modern restraint. Because personally, were I your best friend, the moment I heard that you got that email, I'd have gone to her house and had a conversation with her for you. Your husband's I mean, right. like, the brass ones. So Ooh. when are you going to host Thanksgiving? Ooh. On and the 11th of never, friend. <laughs> and to say, to say you're, you're not a real daughter. Listen, 
let them leave whatever they're leaving to those other people, but you will be better. You and your family, I assume you and your husband love each other and have a good relationship. If I am wrong, I am sorry, but your husband is giving you the best possible advice. Let them cook. Let them have Thanksgiving. Cook for yourselves. Go out to eat. Go visit with his family. Whatever you do, work with the therapist for your emotional health, but you can't fix whatever is broken fundamentally with these people. It's not your fault. It's not your job. Yeah. No, especially when you consider she talked with them about it. She wrote them letters explaining how they ma- it made her feel. It's not as if she's saying, I feel entitled to like eight cars. She would quite literally just like to be acknowledged as a member of the family and get a dish. Uh, a dish. And, a and dish. their response to that is just... That's what's so bewildering about this is apparently like she grew up in an environment where they made her feel welcome. And, and now at this late date in life, she finds out they didn't really feel that way. They never really thought of her as part of the family. And they're in complete agreement about this. Right, because then you have to wonder about the brother that says, well, yeah, it's a problem, but I have to support mom and dad. Also, since when does loving someone mean you have to support everything that they do? That's such a cop-out. Like, well, I love my parents, so I'm not allowed to criticize a single choice they make. By the way, I'm a man in my 50s. Right. This is a question I also have, because if you are, you you have parents, you call them up and you say, mom, dad, this is really screwed up. How could you do this? How can you do this to us as a family? Why would you damage our relationships even after you're gone this way? Because now my sister thinks that you don't love her and that we don't think she's part of the family. And she's the oldest sister. So she literally stayed. She helped raise the other three probably because I know how older siblings goes. You know, made matron of honor. She's probably spent God knows how many years hosting Thanksgivings, babysitting all of the things you do when you're part of a family. And they're treating her like she's the help who get who became part of the family. Oh, girl, run. These people are trash. Uh, I'm right. I'm right there with you. Like, this is kind of. Uh, an unspeakable level of cruelty. Like, to call it out in the will are three children by birth. Like, they might as well have titled the, the will, like, not Sharon, um, if, if her name were Sharon. I don't know what her name is. But it's just so, it's so deliberate. It's so calculating. It's so petty. Like, she she's, she's pointing out, it's not like they've got a ton of money. It's not like they're worried about her. Sp- it, it has nothing to do with, like, oh, we want your other siblings to have this money because you're more established. It's literally just... We don't even want to give you, like, the butter dish that you liked when you were a kid. We don't want you to have a thing. Right. Like, um, there's not even, like, a, you know, I, I, I'm going to give you my jewelry, but not great-grandma's jewelry. Whatever. Yeah. No, and to, and to, to say, like, it's because you're adopted. Right. Like, no, I, I don't see any any mitigating factor here. It doesn't seem like anyone in your family is at all concerned with how it makes you feel. You've been crying for a month, and that means nothing to them. And the next thing you hear from them, it's like, so when are you going to take care of us all? Like, these people are not setting themselves up to, to take a second chance. Do you know what I mean? Like, Right. This, these are clearly people that you should just let go. Move yeah. on. Think of them. But that's as, really hard. As, fo- as a foster family, if necessary. Which is why I say she should continue seeing the counselor. I think she really does need mm-hmm. therapy to help her grieve, to get yeah. past the idea of what she thought she had versus what she apparently really has. I right. know this must be incredibly traumatic. I just think that going back to be traumatized over and over again won't help her. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't want to minimize how painful it must be to cut off your entire family as an adult. Um, and I don't want to advise someone to do that lightly. But like, as she says, I want my family back, but not these cruel people. 
And I think if you go back, they're only going to offer you more cruelty. They're not going to acknowledge your feelings. They're not going to try to look at it from your point of view. They're not going to say, no, you're a loved and valued member of this family and you deserve that. Like that is a bare minimum of what you should get from your family. And and I think you should work really hard on taking good care of yourself. Yeah, spend time with your husband who at least is like on your side, right? Like at least he wants to, I, I, I like his idea. That's actually a pretty smooth line. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, stick with your husband, stick with your counselor. Uh, let them know you will not be hosting Thanksgiving and let them know that uh, you're not interested in in a relationship with them if they think of you as this fake daughter or or less than member of the family. Yeah. All right. I, I think we have we have answered this one fully. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read our next letter, which is coworker conundrum. Uh, Dear Prudence, a couple of years ago, I left my job for another opportunity. It didn't work out. And now I'm back at my old job. The person that I work with the most is doing a number of mean, sneaky tricks to make me feel left out, leave me out of conversations, turning her back when I come in the room, handing out candy to everyone in the office except for me, not looking me in the eye, not greeting me in the morning, not greeting me in the morning, etc. She's just doing a lot of things to make me appear like I'm not working as hard as she is, too. Nothing overt, but always putting her toe right next to the line of unprofessionalism. For example, she's in charge of our work assignments, and she's only assigning me about a fifth of what she's assigning herself. She also has cancer. I can't talk to her because she's very passive-aggressive, and I know she would tell one thing to my face and another to my boss and her friends. If I complain to her boss, I'll sound like a whiny baby who's trying to get someone with cancer in trouble. She knows all this and is still acting in a way that could make me have issues and hurt my job down the line. How should I handle this? We were friends before I left. Oh, this letter has everything. It's the mean girl posse. It is. It is. And and the mean girl who used to be friends and just layers of how to discuss this with somebody who's going through something as difficult as cancer uh, and how to deal with someone who you know will always look for things that have plausible deniability and try to make you seem like you're inventing things or overreacting if you bring it up. I mean, this is this is varsity level coworker drama. Well, so here's what you do. This is my advice anyway. You mm-hmm. don't bring it up. You literally kill her with kindness. Every time she doesn't speak to you, you offer her candy. Sure, she's probably not going to take it. You smile sweetly. You offer to do extra work. You make a show when assignments are going out of, oh, I don't want you, Mary, or whatever this person's name is. I don't want you to have to do all of that, Mary. Here, I can help you with this, this, and this. Hmm. Thus seeing to it that even if she does have a petty reaction, even if she does have a nasty reaction, all you were doing was being helpful. Sometimes you can't outmean a mean girl, but you can make a mean girl show the world just how nasty she is. <sighs> That's really good. Casey's just like shaking her head yes in the background, by the way. Um, that's kind of genius because I have a feeling if she were to try to be direct about this, um, because this is all really petty, uh, this coworker would have a way of making it look like she was making it up. But your strategy sounds kind of uh, delicious. Yeah, I, I, I've, I may have had my share of coworkers like this, including one who once poisoned my flowers with nail polish remover. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it was fine. Yeah, it was very special. It was fine, though. I very sweetly (sighs) left them on her desk as a gift. Mickey. (sighs) Okay, you're coming back on the show. I've decided (laughs) that right now. Uh, We're going to have a special edition of just what to do if you suspect someone is poisoning your flowers with nail polish remover. It's a very bizarre coworker. 
Yeah, no, it is. Uh, it is remarkable. I think sometimes the the degree to which people will uh, bring a certain type of like Lucretia Borgia level energy to the workplace. Yeah, I was never that of- invested in the workplace, so I always wonder about people like this. Mm-hmm. Why this is the place where you exercise all your demons? Yeah, rather than just like come in, work, and then go home. Yeah. Yeah, this is where I'm going to like work out all my feelings about friendships and insecurities and my parents and my kids and my sister and every other boss I've ever had that I didn't like. It sounds like this 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 coworker is making a lot of extra work for herself. It sounds exhausting to like wage a silent campaign against someone uh, for having previously left their job and then returned. Well, and I'm wondering if some of this isn't the silent campaign because, you know, um, she has cancer and that can cause some issues, but also maybe this is her way of deflecting all of the energy she can't wage against cancer, right? She can't fight yeah. that, but she can fight with this person who probably is relatively speaking safe to fight with. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's part of why I think your strategy is really good because like you don't want to stoop to her level. You know that it's unlikely that going to your boss or trying to have a direct conversation about this will be helpful. Um, but you can do the killing with kindness trick, especially because you will not like actively be trying to hurt someone who's also dealing with cancer like this this is a situation that kind of calls for the 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 high road uh, mm-hmm. but a sneaky high road you can manipulate a manipulator it just takes a little a little tact yep yep no and if nothing else like it, it will really just drive the point home the nicer you are to her the more apparent it will be to her the way that she's treating you is totally uh, out of proportion to how you're responding and uh, shame is often an effective tool for getting someone to, like, just knock it the fuck off. Like, it's it's probably unlikely that you guys will go back to being friends, but it's certainly possible that after a couple of weeks of just, like, thank you so much. Is there anything that I can do to be helpful? She'll just get tired of having these encounters and will go back to hopefully just leaving you alone in peaceable comfort. Well, and also that brings in the thing that when she goes home to vent or she vents to whoever about this woman, um, you know, oh, well, you know, she's... Susie left and came back and she thinks she's all that and then becomes Susie's always trying to help. Nothing sounds more ridiculous. <laughs> that's that's genius. Uh, yeah, no, I think this is I think this is the best strategy available to her aside from looking for another job, um, which maybe they should also put on the back burner just because this does not sound like the kind of, you know, they wanted to leave to begin with. They've mm-hmm. only come back because they had to. And it sounds like things have gotten worse. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled for another job elsewhere. Right. That, that that way. But, you know, you have to make it livable while you're still there. So right, this yeah, way, it's, yeah. if nothing else, you can get the petty revenge of no, knowing she's frustrated. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing better, I think, than petty revenge. It's the best kind of revenge. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I, I think we're good. Is there anything left you want to say to this letter writer? Anything else that you want to say to people who might be dealing with petty coworkers across this nation? Um, I will say this, that if you have petty coworkers, sometimes you can out-petty them, but that's often a losing strategy. The mm-hmm. best thing is to make it so that someday, maybe they have to report to you instead. <laughs> I I think my favorite part of this is the sweet as silk voice you're, you're, you've got going as you're like, and maybe someday they're going to have to report to you and you'll just sit back in your beautiful velvet throne and smile. I am a very sweet person, my <laughs> I'm you, the are. Scorpion you are. You are. You are. <laughs> you are a sweetheart. All right. All right. We've got one that is totally unrelated. It has nothing to do with offices, uh, but it does have to do with relationships. And the subject is lifelong bachelor. 
um, which I was hoping was going to be about like an old timey movie with someone who is clearly gay. But um, it's it's not. But it's almost as good. Dear Prudence, I'm a 60-year-old woman who's been dating a 65-year-old man for just over two years. I've been divorced for 12 years and my kids are grown. He is never married. When we met, he knew that my goal was a committed long-term relationship. This is still my goal, and I'm so happy to have met such a kind, loving, and generous man. Yet, he's happy with the current status quo, me living in my house, him and his. He says that since he's never married before, he can't imagine doing so in the future. I don't want to give him an ultimatum, but I want him to realize how important this issue is to me. He has trouble talking about emotions and feelings, but is ordinarily caring, intelligent, and compassionate. Do I give up on this relationship and try to meet someone new? The thought is depressing. Yet, I know that I won't be happy in the long term in two different houses across town. Okay. Um, I have I have two possible bits of advice here. Mm-hmm. One is to discuss buying houses that are next to each other or in the same building, but separate spaces. That's the, the Kurt Russell Goldie Hawn solution. Right. Because some people just can't live with other people. Um, the other thing is to ask yourself, particularly as it comes to issues of retirement and aging and, you know, whatever. Um, do you want to tie your financial future to his and vice versa? That might be a really risky proposition. I mean, yes, I understand that you would love for the compromise to be that he agrees to marry you and you all move into one house. That's not a compromise for him, though. That's him now being miserable and nobody wants to be in a miserable marriage, least of all in their 60s. I promise you, you don't. Um, But also, you know, it seems like it's mostly about the distance factor, two houses across town. So if you're otherwise happy, maybe the compromise is still separate houses, but separate houses that are closer together. Yeah, because she does say that her goal was a committed long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. And you do have that. You two, it sounds like, are committed. It sounds like you're monogamous. And it sounds like uh, you're both interested in continuing to stay together. So it's it's not as if he's trying to change the terms of your agreement. It sounds like you just have a different definition of what committed looks like. Right. And I think I think to hinge commitment on marriage, and this may just be the fact that um, I, I come from a community where occasionally you will run into particularly older women who have been successful, who have a friend, and they see their friend one, two, three nights a week, but they have absolutely no interest in taking on the rest of having that friend. They don't want to have to worry about sharing money. They don't want to have to worry about doing his laundry or buying his groceries or, you know, whatever. They are perfectly content to go out for dates and to maintain that sort of new relationship energy where when you're getting on each other's nerves, you have separate places to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good question is like, obviously, if if she searches deep within her soul and says like, no, I really I need to be in a relationship with someone where at least marriage feels like it's on the table or we both desire it. And without that, I just won't feel loved that's something to address, but it's also worth asking yourself, do I want these things because I, I couldn't be happy unless we were married, or do I just feel like that's what I need in order to feel like we're committed to each other? Um, because especially given the fact that, like, he's 65, he's never been married, his track record of, like, sticking to his guns sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you should ask yourself, given what I know about him and his history, uh could I could I be happy with that? And if the answer is absolutely not, then yeah, maybe unfortunately you'll need to part ways and you might find somebody else that can give you what you want and you might not. And that's the risk you'll want to take. Um, 
And if there's a compromise along the lines of living closer together, but still not cohabiting, um, being committed, but not necessarily getting married, if any of that sounds appealing to you, if he treats you well, if he's compassionate and caring, it's, I think, at least worth asking, could I see myself happily committed to him in a way that did not involve marriage and cohabitation? Yeah, I think that's definitely a question worth asking, particularly when you consider that while, you know, they've been dating for the last couple of years. How will you feel in your 70s and your 80s? Yeah, because those are coming up. Those are yeah. what come after 60s. Yeah, I've been told. Yeah, so I yeah, mean, and and maybe maybe what you want is to feel like the two of us are in this together. Whatever happens to either one of us, the other one will be the other person's caretaker. We are joined in every way. And if you want that, that's that's worthwhile information to have. But maybe you'll think actually, like I've got my own family, I've got my own finances. I, I feel like what I really want is just companionship and commitment on a romantic level. And if that's something you'd rather have, you know, you might not need marriage for that. Right. And I was going to say, and especially when you think in terms of, you know, the kids are grown, she's been divorced for 12 years. Maybe this is more a question of, well, sure, we can maintain two houses, but do we need to maintain two complete houses or do we need to buy a duplex where we each have our own space? Do we need I mean, to have kind of side by side condos or an apartment building or, you know, there are you a lot of solutions. You could be each other's goofy neighbors and always yeah. running into each other's places. Yeah. And there's some people where that would be like the ideal arrangement and some people might be miserable and you just have to ask yourself, could I find joy in that? Right. Um, it sounds awesome to me, but, you know, this isn't my life. So um, you have to figure it out. All right. All right. All right, fine. Um, I, I also feel like I want to get some of those older women who have friends on the show to give advice to people because I feel like those ladies have it figured out. I, I can think of a couple. I'll talk to one right now. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, do you want to read the next one? Sure. I'm going to tell you now. I have some feels. You know I have some feels. When you sent me this be, question, you I would I be disappointed feels. if you didn't. A month ago, I had to put my dog to sleep. Her heart was failing. The decision to let her go was an extremely painful one, but I believed it was right. At work, while explaining to my coworkers, one of them became angry and called me a murderer for not doing everything to save my dog. I tried to explain that the only surgery option had a high chance of killing her, but he didn't want to hear it. Now he always calls me a murderer. When I was telling a friend about my wish to adopt a puppy soon, he overheard and said he was going to call all the kennels and humane society to warn them about me. I'm still upset about my dog, and now I'm feeling guilty for not trying the surgery. What can I do to get my coworker off my back? Okay. So listen. This is the less sweet version. The first <laughs> thing you say is harassment. The second thing you say is hostile workplace. You tell him to stop talking to you and to stop making these kinds of comments. When he doesn't, because clearly he's not going to, you go both to your boss and to HR. Because whatever has triggered him, whatever is upsetting him, that is something for him to work out with Jesus, a therapist, God, whatever. Howsomever, harassing me at work about a decision for my pet and my pet's health and comfort? Oh, no, you are more patient than I am because we would have already had two, three, four, five meetings. I'm not quitting my job. I'm not leaving. But I'm going to make sure that you understand that being unprofessional, particularly about somebody who has nothing to do with work over and over again and threatening to to slander me to various organizations, not that they'll agree with him or believe him. Right. Is literally a reason for me to make sure that you don't work with me anymore. Not that I, I leave, mean, but you got to go. I, I just cannot imagine 
hearing somebody say, my old dog, her heart was failing, and the only surgery would have likely killed her. So I had to make this incredibly difficult decision to put her down while she still had some quality of life. To hear that and think this person kills dogs is just, I don't even know that I have a word for it. Uh, incredibly cruel, mm-hmm. uh, completely unreasonable, and and just so clearly has nothing to do with her situation or, or his. I'm not sure actually the gender of this letter writer, but I feel so bad that this letter writer feels guilty for not trying the surgery. I mean, you did not do anything wrong. You are not a dog murderer. Uh, if if you get nothing else out of this, uh, out of being on the show, please, like, please rest assured you are a good pet owner who did their best for their dog and gave them a gift of dying peacefully uh, and not necessarily, like, subjecting them to an expensive, painful, difficult surgery that could have killed them uh, just as dead. Yeah, I... Mm. Yeah. She's yeah, no, he's me. taking it to a... He's taking it to an outrageous level. If he's, like calling you a murderer all the time and threatening to call the Humane Society to warn them that you had a dog that had to be euthanized. Uh, Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. You need to you need to escalate this. And this is probably one of the instances where HR is actually an appropriate place to go, because what he's doing is making your workplace impossible. Right. And if he continues during the course of this, the other place I would recommend you go is to the police. Because he's clearly willing to take this outside of work if he's going to call people. I, I, I sure hope it doesn't have to go there. But this guy just sounds upset. He sounds obsessed. He sounds obsessed right. with you in a level that is completely out of proportion to what you described. Um, and, and whatever's going on with him, he's got some issues he needs to work out that just, again, I hope you do not take to heart because this is not about you. This is about him. Right, because the the dog being in pain and the dog being elderly and ailing and all of these things, these are factors that are actually a humane reason to to put an animal down, to let an animal pass without having to suffer through a catastrophic heart attack or whatever could have happened from this condition, right? Right. Or the painful surgery and recovery. That would also, for the record, the pain be taxing on your on your, your pet's heart. You did the right thing for your pet. Don't let someone's issues whatever they might be based in become your issue yeah. Woo. Okay. okay uh i i i will read the next one which hopefully does not involve any horrible family members or you know harassing coworkers, coworkers yeah. or, or dogs of any kind all right dear prudence i'm a bisexual woman in my late 20s and i've been with my boyfriend for the past four and a half years I'd only just begun to get comfortable with the idea of seriously considering dating women when this boyfriend landed in my life. I adore him, and he's an incredibly caring and attentive partner. Our default assumption for quite some time has been that we will be together indefinitely, and our ideas about what we want our life to be like are in sync. However, earlier this year, I was away for about four months. It was by far the longest we'd been apart since we started dating, and I noticed that suddenly I felt dramatically gayer than I ever had before. Like I'd gone into a cocoon for four years and came out enthusiastically and almost exclusively interested in women. And I can see a bunch of reasons why this might be the case. It's a part of my sexuality I didn't really explore. And now I'm facing indefinite monogamy. I don't like people assuming I'm straight. Now I'm acting out by being aggressively into women. I don't know. I I could psychoanalyze it all day. Whatever the reason, the real problem is that I've been back for a few months and my sex drive in regards to my boyfriend has plummeted. And I still feel mostly attracted to women. I know that I need to talk to him about this, but I haven't yet. What I need help with, I guess, is how do I talk to him about it without making him feel threatened or unwanted? I'm afraid that the answer is there's no way to do that. 
thoughts? I've actually This had... one's actually kind of charming. It I, is. I mean, I'm sad, obviously, but this one's just like, oh, I think I'm gayer than previously thought, which is sort of nice. Well, and also this one actually has a relatively solid and easy solution. I've had this conversation with a partner. <laughs> and it's funny how if you lead with, I love you, but I think maybe I want to explore this thing. And I'm willing to discuss if you feel like there are things you need to explore because the words polyamory and open relationship exist. You don't have to be monogamous. Mickey. Yeah. This is America. How could you? I'm going to say something really, really, really wild. I'm going to say that the two of you could sit down, discuss your your interests or lack thereof and the reasons for them with a counselor. And then as part of that whole thing, you could give yourself space, three months, six months, because you're adult and nobody else gets a vote in your relationship but the two of you to explore those things and see how you feel about them. You might go out and discover that, yep, 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 really into women right now, not really into guys. You might just go out and discover, hmm, I like this person. I would like to be in a relationship with this person and with my boyfriend. Vice versa. As long as you're willing to communicate and be honest, a multitude of things can be worked out. Yeah. I, I mean, I think regardless of what you and your boyfriend do decide to do, the fact that you've been in a relationship for four and a half years means you should be able to talk about pretty much anything. And this falls under the category of pretty much anything. I will point out, she mentions that her sex drive in regards to her boyfriend has plummeted. So I do want to, I, I appreciate the plug for polyamory. And I also want to point out that being bisexual doesn't necessarily mean that what you want is a polyamorous relationship. So both options are available to you. If you hear that possibility and you think, oh, be with my boyfriend and explore my attraction to women, that sounds great. Or if you hear that and think, God, that sounds like a half-hearted compromise that would feel sad because what I really want is to tell him I love him and thank you for the time we've spent together and go get a girlfriend or like eight dates with eight different girls lined up for the next month. Um, and that if that is what happens, I think there's ways to talk about that with him that aren't just you're dumb and I don't need you anymore. Fuck off. Like you can still talk about it in a way that's like, I really care for you. This isn't something that I wanted, um, but I can't ignore it. I can't deny it. I do think you have to talk about it. And I think you can bring it up with him in a way that's not just I don't want you anymore. There's women now. Um, I think you can say most of the things you said to us um, and 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 see what his response is, see how you feel. Like, ask yourself, does it sound delightful to me to have a boyfriend and also date women? Or does it sound better to me to, uh, you know, part ways and say you were wonderful and, and I've got to try dating women now? Because um, if your sex drive is plummeting and well, you find yourself way more interested in women than you used to be, it may not just be... I got to get some chicks on the side. Right. Now, I'm, I'm willing to, to acknowledge that it may, in fact, not be that. But I think that we also sometimes forget that your sex drive can be a continuum. That how That's you're true. feeling right now might alter and shift after you've had the honest conversation. Because I feel like some of the sex drive plummeting is also the guilt over the fact that she's super interested in women and hasn't told hmm. her the truth. Oh, that's wise. That's very wise. Yeah, and she does. she does mention that part of what she's worried about is that she's facing indefinite monogamy, right. which sounds a little like, oh, monogamy is coming at us like a train and we have no options. Um, and you do. You do have options. Monogamy is not the thing you have to do because you've been together for four years. 
Exactly. She can absolutely negotiate with him because, you know, we don't have his side, obviously, but for all we know, he's also feeling that, oh, marriage, I guess it's a thing and I'm going to have to monogamy and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes people maybe need space to figure it out before they commit forever, or maybe they don't ever, they don't commit forever, but you can't shut the door without having the conversation. I will, I will say this though. If you decide to go down the path, where you and your boyfriend have some sort of arrangement where you also look for women to date. I hope you can be really upfront with them. And I hope you don't go too much in that direction of like, we're a straight couple on OkCupid looking for a unicorn. Um, Be really kind and respectful of the fact that there are a lot of other queer women out there who maybe don't just want to like be involved with someone who is in a relationship with a guy and that that is okay too. Because sometimes people looking for unicorns are not as thoughtful as they could be. But that's eight steps removed from the conversation you need to have right now. Have the conversation is really what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Have more conversations. Yeah. You should be able to tell your partner, hey, I'm feeling more attracted to women. And that's been going on for a while. And uh, it started kind of when we spent some time apart. And I'm nervous to tell you because I really love you. I don't want you to feel like literally say to him, I don't want to make you feel threatened or unwanted because you are wanted. But I also need to discuss with this. You I don't want to hide it from you. I want you to know me. I want you to know me as thoroughly as possible. And I want to share this with you. I think that that covered it for me. Yeah, that covers it for me, too. Great. Okay, enjoy being more gay or 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 just more bisexual or or whatever it is that you're doing. It can be really, really fun. And if you're honest uh, and you listen to other people and you treat other people well, you're going to have a good time. You know, it's great. Big more thumbs sex. up for bisexuality from, say, from me over here. More, more sex is better. If you can get more sex, it's good sex. Go for that. Do that. <laughs> yeah, write it down. More sex? Question mark? Definitely. All right. Uh, so uh, this actually kind of segues nicely into disclosures and relationships and sex and attraction. Uh, this is a letter from someone who has never told their husband that they worked as a stripper and wonders if they should. Mickey, would you read this one for us? Sure. I've been married for 10 years with my husband for 12. When I was in nursing school, I worked as a stripper. It paid really well. So while I was the only student in my class who graduated without any student loans, I've been an RN for over two years, living in another state from where I got my degree before I met my husband. I talked to him a lot about school, of course, even talking about how my great job meant I didn't have to take out any loans. Somehow what that job was never came up. After all this time, I don't know if I should bring it up. Part of me wants to because at some point my husband's going to run into one of my old friends who knows about this. And it'll look bad that I've kept this a secret for so long. But another part of me says that if it hasn't come out in 12 years, it probably never will. So why borrow trouble? My husband seems pretty neutral on the topic of strippers. I don't think I've ever heard him say anything about the job, bad or good. So I can't use that to help me decide. You think this is something I should bring up or should I just let it go and hope for the best? Well, first of all, congratulations on graduating without any student loans. Well done. <laughs> That's that's the real that's the real star right here. No student loans. Um, I would also say that having been together for twelve years, I would be really surprised if he hadn't actually figured it out and kind of shrugged it off. Because yeah, first of all, I can think of very few legal jobs that that could give you an ARIA degree without student loans. Yep. Um, but also, um, I really would be surprised if you hadn't said it indirectly, even if you never came out and said, I worked as a dancer, I'd I'd, I'd bet that at some point you slipped up. We mostly all do. And it's not been a big deal. But if you're concerned about it being a big deal, sure, ask him. 
you know, hey, when I talk about my job from college, what did you think I was doing? Don't be surprised if he says, well, I figured you weren't selling drugs, so you were probably a dancer. That would actually almost have been my guess, hearing that you graduated with no student loans. Based on this letter, it does not sound like what's going to happen is this big conversation that's like, you were a stripper and you didn't tell me. It sounds like it's going to be closer to what you were saying, which is either, oh, I kind of figured or, oh, yeah, you know, it was before we met. And I'm really glad you got to graduate without student loans. It sounds like it was a good job for you and I'm happy with us now. So there's not really a problem here. Mm -hmm. And frankly, Um, if, you know, suddenly after 12 years, he's got such a problem with it that it damages your relationship. Oh, you have so many other concerns. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the real question because she's asking, like, do I have an obligation to disclose? No, you don't have an obligation to explain how you paid for school. Uh, If you would just like to because it would make you feel like you weren't hiding something from him and also you wouldn't have to worry about him meeting up with friends from college. Absolutely. You can have that conversation. And my guess is if in a decade of marriage you've never heard him make any really strong statements about stripping as a profession, it will probably be a low-key conversation. And uh, most likely your husband will say something along the lines of, you know, I kind of thought that you might have. Thanks for telling me. Um, But if he's an asshole about it, you've obviously got a bigger problem than the fact that you didn't tell him you had a job that a lot of people stigmatize. Like, I don't think you did anything wrong by not disclosing that information previously. Um, And if he's going to be a jerk to you about it, you have a bigger problem. Right. Because I mean, at this point, you know, it's not like um, you're telling him, hey, so I've secretly been dancing this whole time. I had a job and money I never told you about. I didn't tell you about this thing that happened before years before we ever even knew each other. I think most of us have jobs, life moments, stories we have not told our partners. I've been with my husband for 15 years. We still randomly will be in the middle of a story and go, oh, I never told you this story. Because also, frankly, no matter how much stuff you think you've told your partner, you really don't know everything about each other. It just feels like you do. Right. Yeah. People are always full of surprises. And that's kind of delightful that after 12 years together, you have this piece of information that will surprise and possibly delight him. Yeah, I think I think he'll be okay. I have faith in him as a human. I do, too. He sounds like, I don't know, reading between the lines, I think he's going to have a good response. And I think especially if you don't bring it up like, I, I have to disclose this shameful truth to you that I should have told you years ago and I've done you wrong by hiding it. Um, don't approach it that way. Uh, because I don't think that's an accurate way of describing what happened. Just say, like like you were saying, just like, hey, what did you think I was doing? Like, what job did you kind of picture? Um, I don't know that we've ever had, like, an open conversation about it, but I'm not, like, embarrassed. I was stripping. And, like, I was good at it, or I was average at it, but it paid a lot of money, or some fun fact about it and how you felt. Um, and, you know, hopefully you guys will know each other a little better, and uh, you can all continue to enjoy your debt-free lifestyle. I think we agreed on everything. Matt. Damn it. Mickey. Uh, well, I'll, I'll have you back and we'll have just a series of people who have terrible coworkers and we'll fight about that, about how best to, did she, did, when you put the, when you put the plant on her desk, your coworker, I mean, was that like your last day? Was that like your parting gift to her? Or did you get to see what happened the next day oh, when she found it? Oh, no, I, I, that was nowhere near my last day. I did it with a <laughs> smile. I, I think these are yours. And um, because for the record, nail polish remover in water, not only does the nail polish remover start to stink, the breaking down that the acetone does to the plant itself, it's kind of like making a stink bomb on someone's desk. So um, I left it there with, you know, my, my cutesy little thing. And um, 
It was it looked like a perfectly normal gift until they can mint the putrefaction process that they were already oh, halfway Mickey. to. Oh, Mickey. I uh, Remind me never to try to kill any of your plants, which I never would. So I guess I'm actually probably safe. You're probably fine. Um, she, across time, seemed to develop a peculiarly nervous response to me. I have no idea why. I just had to put my pen in my mouth to keep from laughing. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're definitely going to have a like coworker nemesis day uh, where we just give people two answers, one of which is really restrained and one of which is nice and petty, and uh, see which ones people take. Wait, I, I feel like they'll vote for petty every time. I mean, sometimes it's nice to just picture yourself taking the petty road. And also, the petty road, you know, once you really embrace the petty, let the petty, the petty flow over you and through you, you are prepared for anything. You can achieve greatness that way. That's true. Oh, that's that feels very inspirational, actually. Um, embrace the petty and uh, go to therapy, it sounds like, are the two themes of the day, which yes. is not bad. Not bad for a day's work. No. Mickey, thank you so much for coming into the studio. <laughs> thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. someone tried to poison her plant. Uh, you know, I was just talking last week about how I accidentally killed a succulent, and I felt guilty enough about that because that was not on purpose and it was my own succulent. I can't imagine killing the plant of another. 2016 is getting to people. It is. It is. Yeah, I, let's, let's agree on that. 2016 has been a rough year. It's been a rough year for just about everybody. People are clearly showing the strain. It's taking a toll on their, you know, marriages, on their personal relationships, their friendships, their relationship with their parents. Their jobs are suffering. Everyone's having a rough time. I think we should just release all obligations and burdens. Just let's let's call the rest of the summer a mulligan. And everyone's just going to like mix themselves a drink or take a bath and and just do nothing. And and we can all kind of start over again and, and try to refill our tanks of just basic empathy and, and politeness and kindness and try again. Yeah. All right. So that's my advice to... Everyone in general for the rest of the year, or at least the rest of the month, just stop trying. It's okay. It didn't work out. This year has not been a good one. No one's fault. We'll just all chalk it up to, to bad vibes and, and start over again. We'll call it 2016B. Thank you for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews make you feel good about yourself and help new listeners find the podcast. Plus, we'd love to know what you think. Just search for Slate Dear Prudence. <laughs>